This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. Amen, amen. You may be seated. Good morning. Welcome to Relevant Life Church. I'm Pastor Kevin. It's great to be here with you. If you're online with us, welcome. Hey, Ted, I get to see your beautiful face this morning. Uh, I don't know if you would want a beautiful, handsome face. There we go. Let me, let me switch the words. Uh, it's good to have you here today. I want to thank all of you that helped with Trunk or Treat last week. Come on, would you give everyone a round of applause? Uh, all of you that donated candy, all of you that donated help, all of you came and, and served our community for, well, I was going to say two hours, but it was a little bit longer than two hours. Uh, are you ready for how many people we had come through our parking lot? We had over a thousand people on Sunday night. Isn't that amazing? And uh, so we, we need you next year. We, we're, we're already kind of plot, plotting and plotting plotting and planning, and we're going to need your participation. So thank you. Thank you for being people that serve, people that love our community. And uh, we had a great time. It was a lot of fun. Today, we have a special announcement. If you were with us last week, we uh, shoved Allie over to another ministry, and we're actually welcoming our new kids pastor uh, today. And so, Sarah, come join me, would you? This is Sarah Haygood. Come on. We've known each other for a couple years uh, at Northwest University. She's an Oyama graduate, and we're really excited about what God's going to do through her. She's stepping into kids' ministry as of today. This is her first Sunday, so she's going to be around. And I asked her a question, what most excites you about kids' ministry? Will you kind of just share that with us? Yeah, that's really hard just because I love kids' ministry a lot. Um, but one thing that I would think of off the bat is I think a lot of times kids are overlooked. And so one thing that I love is when they really grasp on to the Holy Spirit and they start living in that and they start working in the gifts and, and changing their families and their friends and all that fun stuff. Cool. cool. Life change. That's what we're all about, right? Would you just extend your hand as we welcome Sarah? We want to pray over her. God, we thank you so very much for Sarah. God, we thank you for her life, her gifts, her calling. God, we thank you that she's part of Team RLC. And God, I pray that as we gather together, God, as we partner together to reach kids in Salem, to reach the kids of RLC, God, we ask for your hand and your anointing to be upon Sarah. God, would you fill her with your spirit? God, would you uh, give her greater love for kids, give her greater ability to lead kids? God, give her, give her the ability, God, to step into a team and to lead that team. God, we just pray that you would uh, help us as a people to surround her and to encourage her and to lift her up. And God, that we would be this uh, uh, a te- team that, that is, cannot be defeated. And God, we're excited about the future. We're excited about what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, give Sarah a round of applause. Great days are ahead. As we, were, as we said last week, we've had a lot of amazing kids leaders, kids, kids teams throughout the last several years. But this is our first time that we've actually been able to invest and hire a staff position. So this is, this is exciting, solely dedicated for children. And so we're, we're very happy about that. Trenton is coming this morning to conclude our series. And I'm not going to rob anything from you. Welcome him, would you? Good morning, good morning, good morning. Um, Sarah doesn't know this, but I felt the Holy Spirit's leading, so you're going to actually come preach today. So give it up. No, I'm just kidding. Um, before we settle in, can you guys stay on your feet real quick? I know everyone just sat down. We got a nice crowd today. Turn to someone and say, good morning. You look nice. Tell, tell them it's all right if you didn't shower because it was dumping rain, so you're clean anyway. And then you guys can take a seat, take a seat. Thanks for being here today. I want to I wanna personally welcome you. If you don't know me, my name is uh, Pastor Trenton, and I am the youth and worship pastor here. Um, there's definitely some faces I've not seen before, so welcome. Ted, I love your face, too. Um, I'm excited you're here, bro. I miss, I miss your long locks, your long gray locks. Anyway, um, I want to just echo Pastor Kevin's excitement today about Sarah. Um, I don't know if you, like, think about it in perspective of what our staff thinks about. But for me personally and for our staff, this is exciting because really we're, we're extending our tent pegs and our tent is broadening of what our staff is. That doesn't mean 
our church still doesn't have responsibility over kids ministry, but what it does is it, it, it lightens the load and allows for us to do more new and more effective things. And so we're really excited for that. And so um, I wanted to personally welcome Sarah. Thanks for saying yes to RLC. Um, we knew all along we were just waiting for you to catch up, but it's fine. Anyway, um, I'm excited for today. Thanks for being here. Um, I sometimes wish that I could get into the minds of individuals, especially in our community, and go, what do, you, what do you value, or what do you think of church? Why do you value church and whatnot? And for me, I, I think a moment like this is so special. Even during worship, I just felt the Holy Spirit here. I don't know, about, I don't know if you feel that, but there's something in this room. It's, it's, you can feel the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's inside of you when you're by yourself. But when you're with people, there's something exciting about it. So today, I want to step into that, and I get the privilege of concluding a series called Rhythms. Rhythms. Can say Rhythms. Rhythms, and this has been a six-week journey, and I'm excited for this. And my encouragement for you, if you have not been a part of the series at all, go check out the podcast, go on YouTube, um, and check this out. This series has been life-changing, good. How many people, by raising hand, have been like, "This series has challenged me." I don't necessarily know how I'm going to walk it out all the way, but it has been challenging me. It's been changing my focus, and that's the goal of it. And so we're excited for that. Anyway, in case you haven't been here or you have what I'm calling CSML, say CSML chronic sermon memory loss, um, which everyone has because like everyone forgets the sermon by the end of Sunday night. In case you don't remember what we've been talking about, I'm going to explain it real quick. So real quick, we'll, real quick recap. The word rhythms obviously is huge, right? That's an extremely broad topic. Um, rhythms is used metaphorically to describe seasons of life. It's used habitually to describe a person's routines in life. It's used musically to describe the movement or tempo of sound. But the rhythm we're referring to in this series is, is more specific. It's a specific lifestyle. We're talking about a lifestyle we've been invited to live. And I wrote it on the screen this morning. But rhythms is the lifestyle believing in, having relationship with, doing life with, adopting the values of, and learning and implementing the practices of Jesus. That's a lot. But for some of you, like, in case, like, you haven't been here or you just need a reminder, that's what we're talking about. And that's an amazing invitation, right? Like, that's an amazing thing to be a part of. That's what this walk is about. And so we've been spending time talking about this as a community. And if you were here on October 3rd when we kicked the series off, Pastor Kevin talked about this idea of dissonance. How many people remember dissonance? And dissonance is this idea of this internal tension that we feel or a cultural tension that we feel that causes us to neglect the, the peace of rhythms, and so just get that through your head. The, the opposing force of Jesus and his rhythms in your life is this idea of dissonance. And so we, as, as, as Jesus followers, want to step into um, this idea of rhythms. And whether we want to admit it or not, we've all found ourselves in a stage of dissonance. And so our series passage has been Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30, where Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So what an invitation, right? What an invitation. So real quick week recap. Week one, we unpacked that statement. And then for the next couple weeks, we looked at practices of that. And some of you are like, I have heard this, but some of you may not have. So we looked at solitude. We looked at Sabbath. We looked at prayer. We looked at meditation and how to do these things. And so I'm excited today because I'm supposed to bookend this amazing series. And if you're in my shoes looking from my point of view, that's a little bit overwhelming for a couple reasons. First of all, if you've been a part of the series, you know that the topics and people who have preached, Pastor Kevin and Pastor Larry, have done a phenomenal job, right? They have delivered life-changing, thought-provoking, phenomenal content. And I'm just praying God will keep the streak alive when it comes to me speaking today. Um, the second reason it's a big deal is because we've really only scratched the surface of this topic, like, we've really only scratched the surface of this topic. Pastor Kevin and I were talking about this in this week about how there are so much, there's so much more we could have said about the topics we talked about and so many other topics we could have added. And what I, right now I feel the Holy Spirit's even saying in my spirit, like, this is a lifetime of figuring out how to walk this. And so today I, I wrestled, honestly, I was like, how do I close this series? This series has been phenomenal and we have only scratched the surface. And honestly, originally, Pastor Kevin, when he mapped this series out, he, he, he gave me um, one last, one last um, rhythm or practice to implement. And um, I disobeyed because I like to do that. No, I felt the Holy Spirit's leading that I should, should kind of change, um, change directions. And he was totally cool with it because he's an amazing leader. And so I wanted to end the series, rather than teaching about another practice, I wanted to book in the series with a practical message on how to implement, implement these practices into your life. I want to try to give a launching point because all of you, whether you like to admit or not, like you're having trouble, like already you've had some thoughts during the series, like how am I going to do this, right? Like how many people will be honest, like how am I going to do this? 
And so what I mean by that is I don't want to re-preach week one's message about Matthew 11. But what I do want to highlight is Matthew 11 is simply an invitation. Say invitation. It's simply an invitation, meaning God is not a, a, a puppeteer in the sky maneuvering your life, forcing you to do things. He gave you a free will. So when he gives an invitation like this, he's not going to force you to step into it. He's going to encourage you. He's going to talk about the blessings of it, but he's not going to force you to do it. You have to step into it. And so my heart is to really tackle the question, how do we implement these life-changing practices into our daily rhythms? Now, obviously, that is a very broad topic, right? How many people are like, that's a huge topic, okay? So we could do an entirely new series called Implementation and spend weeks on this. But I want to narrow it down today and ask more specifically, which is my next question, what's the greatest enemy to us implementing these life-changing practices? What's the greatest enemy? Because all of you, 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 you have an idea, but what's the enemy stopping you from actually doing it? And I know there's a lot of en- um, enemies. There's, there's um, a practical know-how or a lack of practical know-how. There's a lack of experience, a lack of discipline, a lack of drive. And all these are enemies, but the greatest enemy and the title of my message today is I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time. And the reality is this statement is just an excuse and it's a victim mindset. So my actual title, title 2.0, is I don't prioritize my time. Okay? <laughs> That's a great, a greatest enemy. And so my desire today is I, as I, I felt on my leading, and honestly, I was like jotting notes while PK was preaching on Sabbath. I'm like, dude, like I want to help, I want to help implement this. How many people thought this series was phenomenal? Again, Pastor Kevin, thank you for doing that. I mean, just the Sabbath message alone was like, I'm like, I need to go listen to it 80 times just to, to process it. So anyway, that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about I don't prioritize my time. And so real quick, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump into this. God, I just pray right now, God, that you would speak through me. God, you know how much I have wrestled over the things I'm about to say. God, at the end of the day, God, I don't care if I look impressive, God, or I look cool, or I sound great. God, all I care about is that people hear your word, God, and it changes their life. And so I pray that everything in me, God, would move out of the way, God, and that there would be a clear sense of your spirit speaking into each heart. God, I believe there's people in this room today, God, that have neglected the lifestyle, the rhythm you have invited them to for years because they have lived by the excuse of I don't have enough time. And I pray right now, that is the enemy's greatest tactic to stop us from living the spiritual life we're called to. I pray right now in the name of Jesus, God, that you would speak and cause a burden for us to recognize the power of spending time with you. And we just thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everyone said, all right. So this week during my study, I came across a fable of a lazy man. I'm going to name him Larry, and I'm just going to go straight from the start. This is not based off of Larry Tomlinson, okay? Uh, I know he's in the room. Larry, I love you. This has nothing to do with you. I literally was like, what's the first L name that matches lazy? And Larry came to mind. I don't know if that's because like subconsciously I thought that about Larry, but that was not my heart motive. So I love you, Larry. So anyway, I want to read this really quick this morning. This is a simple fable, but I, I want you to see the power of it. So Once a king and a lazy man named Larry were very good friends. One morning, the king said, Larry, why don't you do work to earn some money? Larry replied, no one gives me a job. My peers have told everyone that I never do any work on time. And then the king said, Larry, I'll tell you what. You can go into my treasury and collect as much wealth as you want, but you only have until sunset to do it. How many people are like... Haul out your boy. When am I invited to do this? Right? Like, I'm like, I will do this. I will get my butt to the treasury and I will get money. Okay. So it says, so Larry rushed home to tell his wife, maybe by chance her name was Jan, but again, that would be just a coincidence. She said, Larry, go to the treasury right now. I mean, I can see Jan just like, go to the treasury, Larry. Okay. Again, it wasn't Larry Tomlinson. I love you, Larry. She said, go to the treasury right now and get the gold coins and gems. Larry replied, I cannot go now. I need lunch first. After lunch, Larry took an hour nap. And then in the late afternoon, he grabbed some bags to carry out all the amazing treasures he was to get. And then he headed to the palace. But on the way, Larry got tired. So he sat under a tree to rest. He unintentionally fell asleep. And then two hours later, he got up to go, but saw a man performing some magic tricks. So he stopped to watch, which led to another hour being wasted. And this right here is proof. This is not Larry Thompson because he would have gotten distracted by a Seahawks game, not magic tricks. Am I right? Amen. All right. In the end, when Larry finally reached the palace, the sun had set, the palace gates had been shut, so Larry lost his golden chance because he did not have the value of time. Now, I know this is just a silly kid's story, right? This is a fable. It has, has a moral of the story, which obviously has to do with time. But when I ran across this, I was looking for something that I could correlate our excuse of I don't have enough time to. And this is what I realized in reading this. We have been given daily, say daily, daily access to God's treasury. 
And by, like you think about it, by God's treasury, I mean the rhythms, the peace, the love, the protection, the life in the very throne room of heaven. And he, Jesus invites us to this. But much like Lazy Larry, we allow everything else in our lives to consume our time. And by the time we have time, it's sunset and we miss our chance to get the gold. And so I want you to be honest today. Like, just seriously consider. Be honest. Each day we wake up and find ourselves bombarded by time fillers that easily distract us from time with God. In the morning before work and other responsibilities, we let sleeping in, grabbing our phones, serving social media, random chores, rushing to get our kids ready, stopping to grab coffee, all get in the way of heading to the treasury of God. On our lunch break, we let squeezing in a few more minutes of work, surfing social media, checking ESPN, Amazon shopping, get in the way of heading to the treasury of God. After work, we let prepping dinner, working longer hours at home to meet deadlines, binge watching Netflix, a sports game, taking care of the kids, get in the way of heading to the treasury of God. Now, it's not that these things are bad, but we need to be honest and admit, too often it seems like we have time to squeeze everything into our day except for God. Just let that settle in. And I'm not up here trying to condemn anyone because I am like first in line to say this happens to me. But I felt so strongly that we as a community need to reflect and openly, honestly admit and say, God, like I, I'm making excuses. There's, there's really actually no enemy other than the excuse I'm making. See, we hear series like this one that challenges to prioritize God and to step into rhythm with him, but we never seem to have enough time. How many would be honest that during this series you have thought to yourself, this is great and all, but I don't have enough time to fit into my schedule? Like, just raise your hand if, you, if that was you. Or if you were like, man, this is great and all, but like, I don't know how. How many people thought, I just don't know how to fit this into my schedule? Some of you are lying because I know you thought this. <laughs> During Young Adults Group this past month, we, we um, have been taking time to discuss Sunday's messages, and I had the privilege of leading the, the Young Adults Group that talked after PK's Sabbath message, which again was phenomenal. And during this discussion, the principle of tithe came up. And if you don't know, tithe is this command that we're supposed to give one-tenth of our money to God because all our money is His in the first place, right? And um, He can do more in the 90% left over than we can do on 100% on our own, right? We all understand that. The reason tithe came up, though, is because Sabbath, meditation, prayer, solitude, and every other practice is a form of tithe. Let me show you. Giving a day a week in Sabbath to God is saying, God, you gave me the very breath in my lungs. I know you can do more in six days, the 86% of time left over, than I can do in seven days, 100% on my own. Giving an hour to solitude, meditation, prayer every day is saying to God, God, you hold my days in your hands. I know that you can do more in 23 hours, so 96% of my time left over in my day than I can do in a whole 24 hours on my own. And so anyway, we were talking about this and discussing in young adults, and someone thankfully openly and honestly said, tithing is actually easier than spending time with God. And they said, because after you tithe, you can just go out and make more money. Once you spend time, it's gone forever. Like this week, Pastor Kevin, I was talking to him about this message. He told me to download this app, and I started um, counting down um, basically the hours I have lived. So I put in 1225. I texted my mom and said, hey, roughly what time was I born? On February 24th, 96. And she said 1225. So I put it in, and I'm seeing, like, I live 9,000 9, days and so forth and so on of time. And I, I had to realize, like, I don't get any of that back. It's gone. I am, I'm slowly and progressively moving towards my death. Like, not trying to be morbid, but, like, that's the reality of time. And so the reality is we all face, we all face this, and that's why time is so often the greatest enemy. It's not that we don't want to, it's that we don't want to bad enough. But here's what I want you to understand, and then I'm going to get into my points, and then we can get out of here. Us not giving and dedicating time to God is us giving into Satan's greatest strategy to hinder our, our lives. Us not giving and dedicating time to God is us giving into Satan's greatest strategy to hinder our lives. Corey Tenboom said it this way, if the devil can't make us bad, he'll make you busy. What was she saying? Think about it logically for a moment. Jesus died on the cross. He bore your sins. He, 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 he gave you freedom and purpose on this earth. And in doing so, he instilled the spirit that raised him from the dead into you. You all have access to it. The spirit that frees us from addiction. The, the, the spirit that heals physical ailments, mental ailments. The spirit that in a moment can change life forever. Satan has no, no power to stop the spirit inside of you. But you know what he can do? He can persuade you to settle for a lesser version of it by, living, by making you live by the excuse, I don't have enough time. 
Because if you're too busy living for the world, you won't be able to live for God. John Ortberg said, for many of us, the greatest danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It's that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We'll just skim our lives instead of actually living them. And I know this is heavy, but what I want to do is I just want to call out the elephant in the room. I want to call out the excuse. And I want to lovingly show you how to overcome this excuse. So really quickly, just to recap, we started with the question, how do we implement these life-changing practices. Then we narrowed it down to what's the greatest enemy to implementing these practices. And now I want to answer with the rest of this message, how do we overcome this enemy? Say, how do we overcome this enemy? And I want to do it by looking at a passage of scripture found in Ephesians. And really quickly before we read Ephesians chapter four and five, only four verses, don't worry, calm, calm yourself. I want, I want you to know four things about it. First thing is this. Ephesians was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church he had previously planted. So it's a letter written to a community of believers. The second thing, Paul was writing this letter while in prison, while under house arrest in Rome waiting trial to stand before, I believe, Caesar. If you don't know about it, read the last ch- um, 10 chapters of Acts. You'll see the whole story. We did it as a youth group. It was a lot of fun. Thirdly, this letter is different from Paul's other letters because Paul's other letters are typically calling out churches for doing like and living by inappropriate behaviors. He's saying, don't do this, do this. This is whack. Don't be babies. Like, I'm not kidding. He says, like, stop, stop drinking. It's like, you need to stop like feeding like a baby. Like you need to eat whole food. It's fine. I'll tell you later if you want to know. Number four, he says, uh, or this letter split into two parts. That's the fourth thing you need to know. And this is important because I'm going to refer to it the rest of this message. So part one of Ephesians chapters one through three is really kind of just this doctrinal teaching of Paul going, okay, Jesus died for you. He bore your sins. And in doing so, he gave you access to to this new life, okay? So that's the first part. Ephesians 4.1, which we're going to study in depth in just a second, is a, a flipping point where Paul shifts from going, hey, Jesus gave you this new life to, hey, here's how you live, live this life. So Ephesians 4 through 6, you read it. It's over and over, how you live this life, how you live this life, how you live this life, okay? So based on all that, I believe Paul addresses the excuse of I don't have enough time. Let me read it really quick for you. Ephesians 4.1, 5, 15 through 17 says, therefore, say therefore, so again, therefore means what's happened before this is important for what's about to be said. He's talking about those chapters one through three. Based on what Jesus did for you, I, the prisoner of the Lord, remember credentials, he's sitting in prison. He's like, I'm, I'm living this life God's called me to. So therefore, I, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you, say urge you, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of what you have been called. Then the rest of chapter four, Paul starts to spell out how to do this. He starts giving practical, like purpose-filled examples. Then we find ourselves in chapter five where he's continuing to do this and he hones in on one specific subject, which is time. So then he says, based on this life that you've been given access to, be careful how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of your, what's the sermon about? Time. Because the days are evil, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Does everyone get this? Now your head, you're following me, okay? So here, Paul gives us two, two ways to overcome this excuse from this verse. For, the first one is redefine your priorities by your call. Redefine your priorities by your call. Turn to your, say, turn to your neighbor and say, and you got to say it like this. You there need to redefine them priorities, okay? Say them just like that, all right? Good grammar technique. It's all right. Okay. So what do I mean by this? I believe that Paul is going to adequately tell us what I mean by this because I didn't take it for myself. I stole it from Paul. But but before we look into that, you need to understand what priorities mean. Say priorities. So the word priority by definition, the simplest definition is is something that is regarded as more important than something else. Or you could say putting something that is regarded as more important than something else over something else. Okay. So whether we pay attention or not, we walk around every day with priorities. Like, in other words, we choose to and say, or we choose to say, sorry, do and believe things over and over every day over other things. And as I was processing this idea of priorities, two different categories of priorities popped in my head. There's probably more. These ones overlap, but really there's two sets of priorities. The first one's intentional priorities. Say intentional. These priorities are where we intentionally put certain things over other things. For example, I intentionally prioritize my marriage by unloading the dishwasher rather than watching basketball. My wife said, I wish that happened more. 
I intentionally prioritize my health over eating junk food. I intentionally prioritize my relationship with God over my temptation to sin. I intentionally study for school rather than binge watching Netflix. I intentionally go to an 8 a.m. lecture rather than sleeping in. If any college students are in the room, they're like, yes, amen. Um, I intentionally prioritize to build my relationship with those around me rather than be an introvert, okay? So these are intentional priorities. Then there are a category of priorities called forced priorities. Say forced priorities. These priorities are when we're forced to put certain things over other things, well, like whether we like it or not. So like you're driving to work and you get a flat tire. Like in that moment, like you got to prioritize getting your tire fixed over going to work, right? Like your child just broke their arm and it ran into your room. Like you got to prioritize going to get their arm fixed over like, shut up, I'm watching Netflix, calm down. Like take some, take, take, take some Excedrin. Like, like right, you ha- you're forced to prioritize that. Um, for me and Allie, a couple weeks ago, I was forced to um, deal with Ollie because she got sprayed by a skunk at 10 p.m. at night on the weekend of Oregon Youth Convention after youth group. Let's just say Trenton lost to salvation in the hours that followed. And Allie had to say, get out of the bathroom so I can deal with this before you yell at our dog anymore. It's fine. Jesus loves me and we moved on. But at the end of the day, we have forced priorities, okay? So with all that being said, I'm saying that your calling, your calling should force you to prioritize certain things above others and cause you to be intentional about keeping them priorities. So some of you are like, cool, my priorities need to be defined by my call. What's my call? What's my call? And this is where the church, not on purpose, but they have done a disservice to this word call. Because typically when we hear the word call in church, we think of um, a reference to this God-ordained Jeremiah 1-5 ministry call right? Put it on a slide. Jeremiah 1.5, God ordained ministry call. And it's where God came to Jeremiah and said, hey, Jeremiah, before I formed you um, in the womb, I knew you before you were born. I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. This, and this is going to be a poor definition, so do not come talk to me later. I don't have time to explain this because this is not the call Paul's referring to. But in, in, in a large sense, this is the call of God coming on your life and going, hey, like, I want you to work in the church or missions or do something well above, well above the typical Christian call. Does that make sense? I'm just going to leave it at that. There's way more to it. It could have done a probably, probably a better job. We're going to leave it at that. The other type of call is an all those saved by and dedicated to, G, to Jesus, Romans 12, one call. And that's where Paul says in Romans 12, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and po- proper worship. This is the call that every, say every, Every single person who claims to have Jesus in their heart, this is their call. You cannot get over this. And like, I can't stress this enough. Like, if any conviction should fall, all of us should feel the conviction of not living this call out to its full extent. This is the call that you accept when you accept Jesus into your heart. It's the call that says, Jesus, I am so overwhelmed by the fact that I don't deserve to even be alive. But by your grace, I'm able to walk around freely with hope and purpose. I have no choice other than to dedicate every breath in my lungs, every thought in my mind, every dream in my heart, and every action in my body, and every person I come into contact with to you. That's the call. And that's the call Paul's referring to in Ephesians 4 when he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. See, because remember, in Ephesians 1 through 3, Paul tells his readers about how Jesus died and he extended this call to them. And then Ephesians 4, 1, he's again saying, okay, so based on what Jesus did for you, this call he gave you access to walk in a manner worthy of that calling. Walk in a manner worthy of that calling. He's saying because what Jesus has done, live a life worthy of it. These Greek words, these Greek words to walk in manner worthy of mean this. To walk means to walk to behave. So in, in, in like layman's terms, like yes, it means physically to walk. But more than that, in that day and age, it was used as a metaphor to refer to one's lifestyle. So he's saying, let your lifestyle be a manner worthy. This word manner worthy, axios, I'm assuming is how it's pronounced, means suitable, meaning being fitting or proper and corresponding to what should be expected. So again, Paul's saying your lifestyle needs to properly match the call that God has given you steward. Let me boil it down even more. What you value, what you prioritize, and most importantly for this message, what you spend your time on should be defined by, filtered by, and guided by this call that you have accepted. So now the question becomes, how does this help us overcome the excuse I don't have enough time? The reality is you make time for what you want to make time for. Just accept it. You make time for what you want to make time for. How you spend your time reveals what you truly deem as valuable, whether you want to admit it or not. Take a quick mental inventory and think Monday through Friday this last week, what did you do every night from 5 p.m. to 11 p.m.? 
Obviously, like the seasons change, but just think on average, what am I doing from 5 p.m. to 11 p.m.? Some of you got kids, you got to deal with that. Some of us, like most of us, probably watched some TV, like scrolled social media, right? Did a few house projects, right? If I had to take a guess, those would be the things that we spend our time on most in our free time. And now these things aren't bad or sinful. God actually tells us, I think it's Ecclesiastes, there's probably other spots too, to enjoy the hard work of your labor. Like enjoy, enjoy what you have. But the issue becomes, are these things becoming more important than the call God gave me? So we need to be honest and ask, how is it that we can fit things, these things into our lives daily, but not the practices of solitude, meditation, and prayer? It's so funny to me how we can be so busy stressing up to our head and our workload that we, can spend time with, that we can't spend time with Jesus, but we still manage to find time to squeeze in social media every day. It's funny how we can't wake up 30 minutes early to spend time with Jesus because we're so exhausted. We have to sleep in until the last possible minute before we're late to work, but you can stay up the night before, push past your exhaustion, and watch more TV. Again, I'm just trying to show us that we make time for what we want to make time for. And so we all have to personally evaluate, what are we making time for? What are we making time for? And I know this is heavy, and I actually did not, writing this, I did not think the mood would be this heavy. So I understand it's heavy. And I'm, I'm hopefully going to give us application to, to overcome this. But I do want us to all wrestle with this. This is something I have to wrestle with. It's something I have to go, one day I'm going to stand before God and give an account for what I spent my time on. And what am I going to say? See, because when you die at the end of your average human lifespan of 72.6 years, if you believe in Jesus and you're headed to heaven, you take two things with you, okay? The choices and actions you made with your life and the impact of those choices and actions that, like, impacted other people, that, that had on other people. You don't take your money, your possessions, your ability to quote, like, the office, your, like, your, uh, your level, what was the word I talked to you about last night, Call of Duty, achievements, your achievements on Call of Duty. I texted Alex at 10 p.m. last night. I'm like, I need a sermon example. What do you call this? So you don't take your achievements on Call of Duty to heaven, okay? Not to say Alex only does Call of Duty. Not throwing you under the bus like that, bro. I love you. Alex prays more than anyone else here, okay? Anyway, <laughs> lightning might strike. No, just kidding. <laughs> I'm there with you, so it's fine. Anyway, one day you will stand before your creator and you have to give an account. So let that realization define how you use your time, okay? So that's the first thing. How do we overcome this excuse? We redefine our priorities by our call. The second thing is we remember whose time it is in the first place. Remember whose time it is in the first place. By raising raise hands, how many people in here at one point in time growing up heard your parents go, I brought you in this world, I can take you out. Anyone say that? Okay, okay. So you heard that. I remember while growing up in the Reich household, this happened quite often, um, along with many other reminders of who paid the bills, who gave me food to eat, who gave me shelter, who put TV in front of me to watch instead of doing my chores, and who paid to support my hobbies and other ventures. And obviously, this was not an actual death threat, I hope, right? I think, is mom running live stream right now? She can type on the live stream if it was an actual death threat. At the end of the day, it was a statement to put my adolescent arrogant attitude into its place, Right? Like, that's why we make this statement. And this week, as I was thinking about this point, I realized I may have grown up and moved out of my parents' house and lost the opportunity to have that attitude with them. But I walk around with that attitude with God a lot. Too often, that attitude is still present in my relationship with God. Whether I want to admit it or not, I walk around with an entitled, arrogant posture towards God, a posture that could be described as forgetting who pays the bills. And I think we're all guilty of this. We rarely take time to remember we were created by, are dependent on, protected by, provided for by, and watched out for by God. Instead of a humble, grateful reliance, we rock around with an entitled, arrogant, I know better than God attitude. We do it by wanting things to happen in our time and in our way. We do it by wanting God to fix others but not fix us. We do it by trying to convince God what we want and what we think is best for us. And this is the arrogant posture that, uh, that we are living in when we say, I don't have enough time to spend time with God. See, because more than Sabbath solitude, meditation, and prayer just being time fillers, they are practices that foster our relationship with God. They are things that give us space and access to be with him. So when we say we don't have enough time to do them, we are in turn saying, God, you are not valuable enough for me to make time to do something with you. And to me, that sounds incredibly arrogant. 
And this is the type of thinking that I think Paul is addressing in Ephesians 5. And I'll give a disclaimer really quick. There is so much in these three verses that I had so much trouble the last couple of days. I never work on my sermon on Saturday night, like at 9, 10 p.m., but I was still trying to figure out how to write this point because I'm like, I'm skipping so much of what Paul said. So if you want to like study Ephesians 5, 15 through 17, there's a ton. But I want to show you one thing in it that I believe is confronting this type of attitude, okay? So there's a quick reminder. Um, here's a quick reminder. We said that in chapters four through six, um, those are about how to live the, the call that God has given to us. That's the over context, overarching context of what Paul's writing in, right? So if we decided to outline Ephesians and the big points like we do like in, in high school with like our research papers, it was a look a little something like this, right? We'd have two main points, chapters one through three, God's called you, chapters four through six, here's how you walk out your call. Then there would be all these sub points and then we would find ourselves in five, 15 through 17. And the reason I'm showing this to you today is because I want you to understand that Paul in five, 15 through 17 it is trying to make us realize how important time is when it comes to our relationship with God. And if I had to sum up what he's saying in a sentence, it would be this. God gifted us all with time, but it's our choice whether we use it foolishly or wisely. So how does this confront our entitlement? And here's what I want to try to show you, okay? I'm going to do my best because I rewrote this point over and over. I texted PK this morning. I was like, Dad, am I taking this out of context? He's like, no, you're fine. So it's out of context. Email him. All right, here we go. So Ephesians 5, 15 through 17, or 5, um, 5, 17 says, Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Early on when I read this, I noticed a play on words that seemed odd. And I want to do my best to show this to you. So I'm not an English expert in any regard. Like, I probably could have done a better job at learning grammar and all those things, how to write sentences. Ask Julie and Allie, who prove everything I write, every email that goes out pretty much because I, t- I talk right. It's fine, though. Anyway, I'm not an English expert, but I do understand English enough to know that the word but is a conjunction used to connect two thoughts, right? Just like and or or, it's, it's a conjunction to connect two thoughts. More specifically, it's used to tie together two ideas that contradict themselves. So in other words, what comes before the word but is contradicted with what comes after the word but. Are you like nod your head if this is making sense, okay? For example, I feel sick, but then I feel healthy. I feel tired, but then I feel energetic, right? It's, It's a contradiction. It's interesting to me because in the case of verse 17, Paul is contrasting foolishness with something, but it's interesting because he does not contrast it with what I assume he would contrast it with. See, he says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. This struck me as odd, because why didn't he say, don't be foolish with your time, but actually just use your time wisely? Like, why didn't he say that? In the world's thinking, the obvious contrasting idea to foolishness is wisdom. The opposite of foolishness is wisdom. The opposite of no knowledge is knowledge. The opposite of stupid is smart. So why didn't Paul just say that? The reason I believe he didn't say that is because he knows God, and he was giving us into insight into God's kingdom. See, because in God's kingdom... The opposite of foolishness is not wisdom. The opposite of foolishness is God. And let me explain. That's why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1.20, God made foolish the wisdom of the world. God is greater than wisdom. And so the best way I can sum this up is I see Paul saying that being wise with time is not getting a planner, making an ideal week on an Excel spreadsheet, or using a Google calendar for everything, although all those things are great. I see him expressing that true wisdom is recognizing time is not yours in the first place. He was confronting the arrogance of foolishness that thinks time is our own. He was saying true wisdom is realizing your time is God's because you wouldn't have it unless he gave it to you. So use it for his will. Charles Swindoll said it like this. He said in scripture, lacking wisdom means living as if God did not exist. It means conducting everyday affairs with no concern for God as if his perspective on the mundane matters of this life are not relevant. Walking with care and wisdom, however, means acknowledging the Lord in all your ways. It means being ever conscious of his concern for us and his desire to see us conducting our lives in a manner worthy of the calling of Christ. And so when Paul said the opposite of foolishness is understanding, I believe he's saying, remember whose time it is in the first place. When you start to come up with the excuse of, I don't have enough time, stop yourself and think, I would not have air in my lungs unless God put it there in the first place. It's why, it's why Moses wrote in Psalm 90, 12, God, teach me to number my days that I may gain a heart of wisdom. Paul, or Moses didn't want to squander the time God gave him. 
And sadly, we don't act like, like it's God time we're spending. And while I was prepping, the, the passage of Scripture that came to my mind was Genesis 1 and how God created the earth. So it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God said, let there be light. There was light. God saw that light was good, and he separated the light from darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning on the first day. In other words, God created day. He created time itself. Like you didn't, he did. Skipping to verse 26, and then God said, let us make mankind in our image. So God created mankind in his own image. Jumping to chapter 2, the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and this man became a living thing. I don't know about you, but I can't go grab bark dust out on the sidewalk over here and blow air into it and expect a human to come out of it. When I read this verse, it's literally one of those moments. Remember who brought you into this world and who can take you out. It's like, that's what it is. And I, I'm sorry, like, I, I'm confronting the arrogance in me. I, I felt like God was saying, like, and it wasn't even in a mean way. It was a gracious way to go, like, I have put up with you for this long. Trenton, like, I, don't, I understand, like, you struggle seeing it, but don't, like, start to remember. Like, God was not trying to, like, slap me in the face. He was trying to just go, like, remember who gave you the life you're living. So every time you have an excuse that something is not going to get done, remember who put the world spinning on its axis in the first place. Life goes on. And there's always going to be a hole to fill. There's always going to be something to do. You can never neglect or prioritize over, over me, time with me. Or t- time with other things. Sorry, that did not make sense. So where does this leave us? Where does this leave us? I want to give you a third point today. And this has nothing to do with Paul's writing. And it's called, realistically, if you didn't know, all my, all my points start with R's. So I just know in some people's heads are going like, okay, Trenton, this is cool. Like, bunch of spiritual stuff. This is all great. I'm really appreciative of it. But like, like realistically, you're still not giving me any practical know-how to um, apply these things to my life. And so I want to quickly, this is the best part of my message, in my opinion, I want to map out an example. And obviously, this is not going to apply to everyone, but you have to take the principle to heart, and you have to figure out how to apply it for yourself, okay? And so this, this um, what I'm about to show you is, is something that I um, heard a different pastor preach on years ago. And I am not kidding. This is probably the, the sermon I have listened to most out of any sermon in my entire life. I downloaded it onto my computer in case it ever gets like, taken off of YouTube so that I can watch it over and over again. Because every time I watch it, it frames in perspective the power of how you can manage your time and prioritize it wisely. And it's super practical. It's not like some crazy, insane like, thing that, like, that God's showing. He, he, it's, it's, a, it's a practical example of how to use your time. And so I'm going to call it the five to eight principle. Turn your neighbor and say the five to eight principle. And so what's the five to eight principle? The first thing you need to understand is that we have 24 hours in a day, right? I, I beautifully made this on PowerPoint. You're welcome. Uh, you have 24 hours in a day. Whether you like, want to expand your time, expand your time more or not, you can't. Like this is the time you have. Every single day, 24 hours, Genesis 1-5 tells us God made, us this, made it this way. And if, if he ain't changing it, it ain't changing, okay? Like you cannot add more time, okay? So now that we understand that, why is it called the five to eight principle? Throw that next slide up there for me. Because... In culture, we live by an 8 to 5 schedule, all right? 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. That is where we spend all of our time and all of our energy, right? It's where we go to work. It's where we have our appointments. It's where um, we, we have to focus to earn money. I'm trying to remember what else I wrote. It's where, where people go to school, run errands, have meetings, have doctor's appointments. The list goes on. Life is busiest, dirtiest, and most chaotic in these nine hours. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong wrong with those time fillers. Like, that's the reality. But the issue is, we're so busy in these nine hours that we, of course, we don't have time to add the practices of God. And so when we say, like, man, I'm too busy to add these to my schedule, this is typically what we're referring to, right? Is this this eight to five schedule. And that's where the five to eight principle recognizes the 24-hour time restriction, but seeks to maximize time so we can add margin into our life. So why is it called the five to eight principle? Um, Sorry, I'm trying to follow my slides. Um, So why is it called the the, the five to eight principle? Because those those nine hours still leave us with 15 hours open, okay? So I I kind of adjusted this. I just want visually, I want you to see this, okay? So again, work-life responsibilities, eight to five, but five to eight, so 5 p.m. to 8, we have this massive amount of time, 15 hours every single day, biggest chunk of time in the day. The five-day principle recognizes the limitation of the nine hours between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m., but then maximizes the 15 hours of time between 5 p.m. and 8 a.m. because you have control over it. 
And so what it does is it looks at those 15 hours and goes, I can do something there. Now, again, I already know some of you work graveyards. Some of you have school, so this doesn't apply to you. Again, this is a principle, so you have to look at the principle and look at the heart behind the principle and then apply it to your life. So what should we do with these 15 hours? Okay, so we see this. Eight to five, what should we do with these 15 hours? We need to make a list of priorities. And the top of your priorities should be this one, sleep. Sleep, that should be your first priority. You want to know why? Because God created you to sleep. If you don't sleep, you're a butthead. Let's just be honest. I'm dead serious. If I don't sleep, if I don't get a nap occasionally a couple times a week, ask Allie. I am, I am hell to live with. H-E-L-L, hell. I am not fun to be around, okay? Sleep is an amazing thing, all right? And God created us that way. And so the National Sleep Foundation actually tells us that we need um, seven to nine hours of sleep every single night. So I put a beautiful, happy medium eight hours up there, okay? So, so I'm covering all bases, okay? So after sleep, what does this leave us? So again, don't throw that next one up yet. Go back, go back. Okay, or don't. It's fine. Um, work and life responsibilities, okay? So I just want you to see this whole picture. You will always have this. Even after you retire, you're still gonna have work and life responsibilities, okay? You get off at 5 p.m. for most of us and you go home and until 8 a.m., you have control over that. I don't care what excuse you wanna come up with. Church is a priority. It's not a chore, okay? Raising your kids is a priority. It's not a chore, okay? No one controls how and when you go to church. You just should, right? No one controls how much time you spend with your kid. You just should. You have to manage it, okay? So after the work and life responsibilities, you get home and you have 15 hours. You should sleep eight hours. Trenton says eight hours because that's what people say, eight hours, okay? So that leaves you, next slide, seven hours of time. Seven hours of time. That is a lot of time. And you're like, but what about my social media scrolling? Well, what about this? What are your priorities? You got to define your priorities by your call. And so the big thing I want you to take away from this is that we all have a chunk of free time, whether we want to admit it or not, and you got to find it. You got to find it and you got to maximize it. And culture shows us that we don't maximize it. A book I was reading said that the average guy spends 10,000 hours playing video games by the age of 21. 10,000 hours. That has nothing to do with eternity. You think God's going to care if you have beaten every single level on a game when you get to eternity? No. The average American spends 705 hours on social media every year. 705. That is insane. The average American spends 2,737.5 hours on TV each year. So you have to decide. John Mark Homer said this, life is a series of choices. Every yes is a thousand no's. Every activity we give our time to is a thousand other activities we can't give our time to. And so again, I know this message was heavy. And at the end of the day, I hope this gives you a foundation to go to your own life. If you want help with this, I mean, like make this as practical like I do in youth group, come to one of the staff pastors, PK, or, PK and I, and I will help you. I am not a pro at this. Honestly, Allie can speak to this, but there are seasons that I crush this and the seasons that I crush this type of schedule, I'm waking up well before I have to be anywhere spending time with God. Those are my best days. That is when Trenton is at his best. When people like Trenton is when those days happen. I'm dead serious, just being honest. But I'm not always good at prioritizing it. It's something now I'm even figuring out. This week, I'm talking to PK. I'm going to have a child eventually. We're not pregnant. That's not a plug for that. But we're going to have a child eventually, and I'm going to have to go. I'm going to have to also fit a child into this because I want to give my child every ounce of time I can. But I still have to give God time, and I still have to perform well at work, and I still have to be spiritually filled to be able to pour out. And so all of us have to wrestle with this. It's going to change. It's going to ebb and flow in seasons. But my goal today was to hopefully give you this launching point. So in takeaway today, three questions. What am I currently spending my free time doing? Only you can answer that. Only you can answer that. And again, free time is good. If you want to know the topic that we were going to talk about today, it was going to be leisure or recreation. It was going to be this, this, this practice of having fun. That is amazing. 100% a part of Jesus' rhythms. You cannot tell me Jesus was serious all the time. He had fun with his disciples. They goofed off. I guarantee it. They maybe slapped each other with fish because Peter's a fisherman. I have no idea. Okay, they did something fun. All right. So what are you currently spending your free time doing? And then after you answer that and you go, how, how, how much free time do I have? What are my priorities? I'm just gonna say God, spouse, and kids are automatic. Like you cannot neglect those. Like at the end of the day, you need to make money to survive. But if you suck on your job and you're great with your spouse and kids, I honestly think you're, you're doing better than you think you are. I'm not saying like neglect your job, none of that. Don't be lazy, like put 100% there. Pastor Kevin gave us an amazing theology on work. But at the end of the day, your biggest priorities are God, your spouse, and your kids. 
right? 100%. Okay, and the, the last question is, how do I make the most of my time? So my encouragement this week is to map out your day today with what, what your five-day principle will look like and go, I have time chunks here and this is where I'm gonna fit it in. And start small, maybe 30 minutes with God. And honestly, that is not that much. Some of you are like, that is a lot of time. If you read one chapter in the Bible and pray for five minutes and take five minutes to just sit in solitude, take a couple deep breaths and sip coffee, that time will fly. And you're like, I wish I could have had more. I guarantee it. So in closing today, and then I'm gonna pray one last quote by John Mark Comer. Are you ready to arrange or rearrange your days so that Jesus' life becomes your new normal? I don't know a better statement to make to like conclude this whole six-week series other than are you ready to arrange or rearrange your day so Jesus' life becomes your new normal? So would you pray with me today? God, I just thank you, God, for the power, God, of time. God, I thank you, first of all, that each person in here has breath and time in their life because you gave it to them. God, not only did you give it to us, God, but you gave us giftings. God, you gave us people to spend it with. God, you gave us jobs to make money. God, to, to enjoy it. God, we, you gave us jobs to be purpose-filled and to do, to use our creativity that you've given us, God. God, you have blessed us with that idea of time. It is the greatest resource. God, and I pray right now, if anything comes out of this whole message, God, if anything comes, God, the only thing that would stick, the only thing that would remain, if nothing else does, is that we would understand the value of it. God, and that we would no longer live by excuses. God, in the name of Jesus, I bind Satan who wants us to live mediocre spiritual lives. God, I can only imagine the, 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 the ferociousness, God, the, the, the fire and the passion that would be existent in this community, God, if we started prioritizing you better, God, with our time. And I'm not even saying church time. I'm saying personal one-on-one time. God, I can only think of the marriages that are going to get better. God, the relationships that are going to get better. God, the, the, the character that's going to get better. God, the giftings that you're going to give, all because we spent time with you. God, it's our private life, God, that feeds our public life. And I pray that we would understand and we would value that. God, I come against the spirit of condemnation today. I'm not, I, I know this message was heavy. God, I'm, I'm not trying to lay a burden. God, the whole invitation of Jesus was not a burden. He said it's an easy yoke, but the invitation is not always easy to grab. It takes some effort. And God, so we, we thank you for it. God, we thank you for the invitation. God, we pray that we would be people to step into that invitation. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. God, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen, amen. Church, thanks for coming today. I encourage you next week, we're kicking off a brand new series called Above and Beyond. I don't know if I'm supposed to say that, but it's gonna be an amazing series, three weeks long. And we have a super exciting invitation to extend to you because of that series. So do not miss. Also plan to be at that family dinner to have relationship and fun. Thanks for being here. We'll see you in the weeks to come. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.